When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Only in college football do we get a five-star quarterback flipping his commitment, not just a couple of days before signing day, or rather a couple of hours before signing day, but we get it in the form of a William Shakespeare-style poem. How do you not love this sport, man? How do you not love everything that comes with college football? Well, we love it here so much. Talk about it every single day right here on this show, The Hard Count. It is National Signing Day Eve, Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. The last in the history of this planet. Going to make it a great one. We appreciate y'all being dialed in. As I alluded to at the beginning of this show, man, Dylan Raiola, given his commitment, said I'm coming home, going to Nebraska, flipping his commitment from Georgia to the Cornhuskers. What does that mean? What does it mean for Nebraska long-term? Because you just landed a five-star quarterback. You're first in the modern rankings era. It's going to have some ripple effects, obviously. So we'll talk about those here in just a minute. It would not be a National Signing Day Eve show if we didn't get y'all warmed up for that. In about 24 hours time, give or take, myself and Josh Newberg will be right here at this desk, not on this channel, on the On3 Recruits channel. So not on this platform, on the On3 Recruits YouTube channel, we will have a full National Signing Day show for you, so make sure you're dialed in for that. Josh, kind enough to stop in for us here this morning and uh, kind of get us, like I just said, warmed up, get us a preview Get all the juices flowing for recruiting as it pertains to National Signing Day tomorrow and uh, make sure we're all in lockstep there as we move into that monumental day. Uh, the, the beautiful part about this time of the year is we have a pretty strong runway leading into these college football playoff games. So we gave you our picks on them already, gave you our preview. I want to talk through some what-ifs for both the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl. Because in games like this, when you give teams like a month to prepare, Sometimes some variables we didn't anticipate being in play end up being very much so the story of the game. So we'll break that down for you, give you our what-ifs. Also, Carson Beck says he's coming back for another year. Run that back, Turbo in Athens. The, 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 uh, the dogs have their starting quarterback for 2024. What does it mean for Georgia? Are they set to go on a national title run? That's the way it feels to me now. I tweeted it out. Whatever the odds are for Georgia in Vegas to win the national title in 2024, I might take a pretty close look at those. Glad to have y'all here. Got a ton to jump into. A quick programming note. As it pertains to our live show tomorrow, make sure you're following me on Twitter and on Instagram at JD Pacquel. A lot of moving pieces right now. A lot of moving pieces for signing day tomorrow. The best way to stay in the know for what tomorrow's show could potentially look like or won't look like is to follow me there. So again, at JD Pacquel, Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you're dialed in there. That will give you the most up-to-date intel as it pertains to this show and what we're going to do going forward because we got a ton to jump into, a ton to attack here. we got five-star quarterbacks committing. we got other five-star prospects that are still to put pen to paper here in just a few short hours. But uh, like I said, we're glad to have you here. All that's to say, when it comes to the recruiting side of things, uh, the transfer portal is still buzzing. Like I said, we're, we're a little bit out of the woods when it comes to some of those names that are jumping into the portal. We still have a couple of those, so we'll talk about that. But before we got on air here, Caden Green, offensive tackle from Oklahoma, gave his commitment to Missouri. Now, this is big for Missouri. You need a guy like Caden Green, who was a top 100 recruit previously. You need a guy like him to set the edge in the SEC. Because, listen, we, we, we watch NFL football occasionally here. And whenever you watch the Sunday night games, and it gets the defensive line, and they're doing their whole, like, you know, first name, last name, and they tell you what school they're from. A lot of times, that school they talk about, or the school they refer to as an SEC school, at the end of the day, you need to be able to have someone on the, on the offensive line, at the tackle position, to block those freaky edge defenders in the SEC. So don't look now, but Eli Drinkwitz, he's cooking, currently has a top 26 class on the recruiting trail, has a top 15 portal class to the good folks at Mizzou. So that's another big pickup for Coach Green and Company. And uh, like I said, need that in the SEC. Now here's a name for you. K.J. Jefferson, quarterback at Arkansas. The writing was sort of on the wall. 
when it came to Arkansas taking a portal quarterback. KJ Jefferson officially in the portal. Our very own Pete Nakos. Y'all get dialed in notification-wise with Pete Nakos so you can make sure you're, you're up to date for all things uh, transfer portal. Has got an early list here of schools for KJ Jefferson. It may not be the only three, but they're the early three in this race. UCF, Miami, and TCU. Miami, if they strike out on Cam Ward, the thought behind them going after KJ Jefferson is you just you can't afford to not take a portal quarterback at this point in the game for Miami. Uh, for TCU, who's calling plays for TCU? A one Kendall Bryles, who was also KJ Jefferson's offensive coordinator at Arkansas. So a little reuniting there, kind of be able to pick up where you left off at in Fayetteville, and you take that all the way out to Fort Worth. So that could be a good fit. Here's the school that I like the most, though. UCF, to me, makes the most sense schematically for a couple of reasons one they still need a transfer portal quarterback okay that's the obvious part two they have proof of concept with a transfer portal quarterback john rice Plumley had a decent season last year so you've seen guys come in from one program to another play quarterback for gus malzahn and have success who is the number one comp that gets thrown around sometime irresponsibly but thrown around nonetheless for kj jefferson a one cameron newton and who was cam newton's oc and he won the Heisman at Auburn. Gus Malzahn. Who's the head coach at UCF? Gus Malzahn. I'm not saying KJ Jefferson shows up there and wins the Heisman, but you want to talk about somebody who's able to utilize your skill set with the massive size that KJ Jefferson has and how he runs the football downhill? You need someone who understands that. And so I understand Kendall Browse was your OC previously, but I think Gus Malzahn and his resume working with Cam Newton, if I'm KJ Jefferson, that would be pretty attractive to me when it comes to my options through the transfer portal. Another commitment was Vanderbilt quarterback A.J. Swan taking his talents to LSU. A lot of smoke around South Carolina. Thought that was going to be the school for a minute. Now he's going to Baton Rouge. And the interesting, interesting thing about this whole commitment to me was A.J. Swan, when he committed per the Hayes Fawcett graphic, said, I want to be a part of winning a national championship. Brian Kelly's bringing a national championship to Baton Rouge. I want to be a part of that. I'm paraphrasing. That was loosely what he said, implying that he believes he's going to have a pretty real chance to start in Baton Rouge. And I don't think that you transfer to a place like LSU if you're a quarterback A.J. Swan's caliber, if you don't think you have a chance to win that job. Now, let's rewind the tape a little bit here. Remember Garrett Nussmeyer during the the post-spring portal window? He announced, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying at LSU. Jaden Daniels is like, I I appreciate the way Garrett's handled all this. It's going to be awesome when it's his time to shine. There's been a lot of juice around Garrett Nussmeyer, especially at the end of last season, of him potentially being the guy for LSU. Tons of arm talent. We all remember what he did in the SEC title game a season ago, pushing the ball downfield. Like, the dude has some juice now. So my curiosity here is, he's going to play in the bowl game, is Garrett Nussmeyer. What happens if he goes out against Wisconsin and just goes off? I'm talking like 300 yards, four touchdowns. What does that mean for the A.J. Swan situation in Baton Rouge? I'm curious to watch this battle in the spring because I think it'll be a really good one. Again, I thought Garrett Nussmeyer was kind of your guy at LSU. Uh, obviously, they want to elevate their quarterback room by nature, bringing the guy like A.J. Swan, again, from Vanderbilt. Now, this made waves last night. Dante Moore, one of the top quarterbacks in the transfer portal, kind of going full circle mode and recommitting to Oregon. I say recommitting because out of high school, the five-star committed to Oregon originally. Bo Nick said, you know what? I want to come back for another season. Dante Moore says, hey, I want to play right now. Flips to UCLA close to signing day. And now, by way of the portal, is headed back to Eugene. And here's the big thing for me. And we said this the entire recruitment via the portal of Dante Moore. Him even being willing to look at Oregon, much less commit, shows a ton of maturity. Because he's made it known that he is willing to sit for a season. To be clear, that's what's happening here. I wholeheartedly believe he is going to Oregon to sit behind Dylan Gabriel for one season and then be the guy after he leaves. So for Dante Moore, like I said, maturity, understanding like, hey, I had one season under my belt, have some things I still want to learn. And who better to learn from than a guy like Dylan Gabriel going into his sixth year of playing college football? I think that's a phenomenal fit for Dante Moore and his skill set and Will Stein's offense. Going to be really uh, a quick processing kind of offense, him to get the ball out on time, be accurate. You'll put up big numbers. Ask Bo Nix about his trip to New York City. The, end, the, the bottom line here for me with Oregon is now you have your quarterback for the present in Dylan Gabriel, who is a top three portal quarterback for us here at On3. And then you got Dante Moore for the future, who is also a top three portal quarterback for us here at On3. So the bottom line here is any way you spin it, Oregon has their 
ducks in a row, no pun intended, for when they get to the Big Ten Conference. So that's obviously a massive get, landing not one, but two portal quarterbacks to Eugene. Also, I, I say this a lot when it comes to these portal segments, but we got to make sure we, we drive this home. I cannot imagine that it is in any way, shape, or form cheap to land two of the top transfer portal quarterbacks in the country. Okay, so again, Oregon flexing their muscle, flexing what they got under the hood, NIL. Uh, I think it means something, and I think there's something to be said for having your ducks in a row and having the organization and structure to land quarterbacks of a Dante Moore and a Dylan Gabriel. Again, that, blo- that, that, uh, that broke last night. One more I want to get to here. This is not a commitment, but a big-time player that jumped into the portal. Defensive back from USC, Damani Jackson. Damani Jackson, Southern California kid, went to modern day. He was the number five overall player in the class of 2022. So this is not just some average Joe Schmo who couldn't cut it at USC, who's now looking for somewhere else to play. Like, no, no, no. This is a dude with a ton of ability that will have a ton of suitors. And if you're reading the tea leaves here, Someone that I follow on Twitter that's pretty close to the USC program, uh, who was formerly at USC, said he had a talk with Damani Jackson. He didn't say this to me. He tweeted this out. Uh, Sua Craven says to watch Michigan and to watch Alabama. That makes sense to me. Those were two schools that were in contention for him when it came to the high school level. Wouldn't it be just like Nick Saban to circle back and land one of the top players from the 2022 class and the rich just get richer when it comes to what they have on the defensive side of the football? So at this point in time, man, a lot of these big names starting to come off the board. Yes, there's still some some big names that are leaking into the portal, but when it comes to names that are going to be committing here, again, I'm I'm closely watching the the Cam Ward domino effect. I have no intel as to when that would happen, but when it comes to him coming off the board, I promise you that will kind of light the fuse. The chain reaction will start, and at the quarterback position, at least, we'll see a lot of these guys start to uh, to commit, and we'll see a chain reaction there. So that's what's going on on the transfer portal side of things. And the portal continues to sprint through here towards the, the end of January. And uh, with that being said, the portal is extremely important. And I think it'll be massive for years to come when it comes to the college football landscape. But one thing that has stood the test of time that is tried and true is National Signing Day. And yeah, the dates have changed a little bit. You had the late signing period that we now refer to as, as the late signing period. It was is quite frankly, the signing day. And it is today, National Signing Day Eve. And so to get us warmed up and, and preview what National Signing Day will hold is none other than the man, the myth, the legend, National Recruiting Analyst for us here at On3, Josh Newberg. Josh, man, we are hours away from you and me just being like chained to this desk for four plus hours, however long we end up going for talking ball. First of all, how are you doing? And second of all, what can we expect for Signing Day? I'm feeling great. I'm rested and I'm excited. I think signing day tomorrow is going to be wild. If it's anything like the transfer portal, if it's anything like these last couple of days have been, I mean, the table's been set, right? We saw Dylan Riola flip yesterday. Jordan Lyle goes from Ohio State to Miami. Xavier Philsame goes from Florida to Texas. So it's already happening. These guys, they couldn't wait till signing day to flip. And I'm sure that on signing day, we're going to see some big news. Now, there are some uncommitted prospects, but in the top 100, Everybody is committed. So we will see some flips, some movement. It will be an exciting day. We hope you guys are all going to be here with us in the On3 studios going live. We're going to be, I I don't know how many hours we're going to be sitting at that desk, but it's going to be a blast. As many as it takes. We'll have the camel backpacks kind of getting the water in between those however many hours we go. Again, on the On3 Recruits channel. So if you come here tomorrow morning for that show, we will not be here. The On3 Recruits channel, make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're dialed in. That's where you can get all your National Signing Day coverage when it's all going down tomorrow with Josh and I here at this desk. Now, Josh, I'll be remiss, bro, if we didn't touch on this Dylan Riola stuff, man. Not not a massive surprise, ton of smoke. He obviously visits Lincoln, ends up making the commitment via a poem. Uh, what did you make of just Dylan Riola making this flip to Nebraska? We'll talk about it more later in the show, but just I want to get your thoughts on that real quick. Ooh, man, what a sign of the times, right? The defending back to back national champions get Dylan Riola committed at the time that he committed he was at Pinnacle High School in Phoenix Arizona he's a committed UGA dog and he transfers to Buford High School down there in Buford Georgia and he leaves a Nebraska Cornhusker who saw that coming I mean <laughs> we know Nebraska was heavily involved right we covered it throughout the spring Nebraska was a team that after Dylan Riola decommitted from Ohio State they put the press on him he was there at the spring uh, basketball game throwing up the bones everybody was going crazy 
then he commits to Georgia. And he moves to Georgia, and he's playing alongside, you know, he's going to Georgia every other weekend. It just looked like it was all set to be until it wasn't. And in the end, Nebraska comes, Matt Rule, it's a storytale ending for Matt Rule, who gets his quarterback. I mean, it's his first full season, so he can hitch his wagon and say, this is my guy. This was the one that I handpicked. We flipped him from Georgia, and we're going to build a program around him. So I think it was huge. It was a historic flip for Nebraska. I think I saw something, the biggest commitment they've had since 2008, but probably the biggest flip that they've had in the modern recruiting era. Oh, without question. I mean, not just to land a five-star, but to land your five-star quarterback. Like, Josh, you know this better than anybody. There's only so many of those out there each and every cycle, much less a guy with the arm talent of a one Dylan Royola. So I know the folks in Lincoln are probably throwing a party still from last night into this morning and hopefully getting to catch the end or the, uh, I guess not the end, but the beginning of this show when it comes to all the talk around Royola. Now, Josh, we sat here last year right at this desk and Oregon just went on a tear, it felt like. They shot up the rankings. Who are you watching to potentially make the biggest move when it comes to signing day tomorrow? That's a really good question. And I think Oregon could be a team that gets out there and gets aggressive. They've already flipped Elijah Rushing, one of the top edges in the country from Arizona. They're out there making it happen. They got their sights set on Jordan Seaton. I don't know if that's going to happen. But I think the teams that I'm watching, I think Texas, I think they've been very aggressive. They had that Xavier Philsam uh, flip yesterday, the number two ranked safety in America, flips from Florida to Texas. Uh, Auburn, Auburn. Hugh Freeze causing so much chaos on mm -hmm. the, not just the recruiting trail, but also the transfer portal. So I don't think that's going to end tomorrow. I think Hugh Freeze will make his presence felt in some form or fashion tomorrow. And then the Miami Hurricanes. I think that that's another team that right now they're outside the top five, but they could finish inside the top five if they have a strong day. And I think those are kind of the three teams that are most aggressive, but don't count out Alabama. Don't count out Georgia. Don't count out Oregon. I mean, there are teams that are looking to make some big moves on National Signing Day, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and the best part is you and I will get to be experiencing it like in real time. We'll have Chad Simmons over there, and we'll be talking about it, and Chad will throw his hand up and say, I got this kid who flipped from this school to this school, or hey, this kid just signed, and it's going to be just like – just honestly, it'll be uh, be rapid fire, it's it feels really, like, almost with the action. It's really exciting, and I mean, I genuinely get fired up. Like, my reaction when I'm sitting there tomorrow over something, it's gonna, I'm going to get fired up over this. We've been covering it for so long, this whole cycle, not just this cycle, but remember, we were talking about some of the 2024 class into last year's cycle. So it's been about a year and a half that I've been here covering this cycle. So I'm excited. I can't wait to see all the twists and turns. We're going to be live at the desk. Any any reaction is genuine. We don't we don't have the answers to this test. I mean, it's not like we know what's happening. So we're going to experience it with you guys. We're going to react to it. We're going to report on it. We're going to make it make sense. And yeah, Chad Simmons is going to be here, so you can't miss. Yeah, we're, we're going to try to make it make sense. It's one of those <laughs> things, like, if we had the script, I promise you, we would we would definitely take advantage of that and have all the graphics ready. Uh, obviously, we don't. We don't. W one school I want to talk to you about, Josh, that's in an interesting spot now, pushing to flip someone. Then also, it sounds like maybe trying to close the, the door on one of their other top prospects they have committed. Florida State. Oh. K.J. Bolden committed. But then you hear things like, well, he's keeping an open mind from the one Chad Simmons, who's obviously the czar on all things intel when it comes to the recruiting side of things. And you got Jeremiah Smith, who's committed to Ohio State. They're trying to break out the spatula and push him to stay home and, and be, a, be a Nolan and get to Tallahassee. Where do you think standing right now for Florida State, Josh, and more specifically both those guys, Kedja Bolden and Jeremiah Smith, as we head into uh, NSD? Well, Florida State fans are, are 24 hours away from celebrating Mike Norvell's first top five recruiting class. They're sitting in there right now, about four or five in the, on the chart. But tomorrow, we'll see what happens. I mean, K.J. Bolden, is he going to flip? Is he going to stick? You got Auburn, you got Georgia, then you got Jeremiah Smith. Can they flip him from Ohio State? In the end, Jeremiah Smith has been committed to Ohio State for over a year, but he admits he's making a final decision tomorrow, and it looks like if there's one team that can flip him, it's Florida State, but Florida State has to play some defense tomorrow. I didn't mention that they were one of the teams on the offensive tomorrow because they have to play so much defense. Hmm. They also have to watch out for Miami. Flipping back. Now, Armando Blunt flipped to Florida State in September. He's about to flip back to Miami tomorrow. I think that's all but done. Hmm. So you got you to gotta look at this if you're a Florida State fan and see how far this could swing. I mean, if they don't land Jeremiah Smith from Ohio State, 
and they lose K.J. Bolden, and they lose Armando Blunt, you could be talking about Florida State finishing 10th. Which, I mean, in comparison to previous years, if I had told Florida State fans, you know, when we were all the way back in, I guess, last signing day, I said, hey, next year you'll have a top 10 class. I think they would have said, hey, thank you so much. We'll take that. We'll take that all the way into next season. But now to be at five and drop down yeah. to 10 would uh, would hit a little uh, bit different, I'm especially sure. Especially on a 13-0 season. Yep. I mean, Mike Norvell, you know, he, he did more with less recruiting with a five-win season, a six-win season. Now they get 13 wins now. Of course, they could lose both those guys and then flip Jeremiah Smith and still end up with the top five class. But if they don't flip Jeremiah and they lose those two, they could end up outside. It would be it would be a disappointing finish, but then you also got to look at what they are bringing in, and it's still a very, very good class for Florida State. But just to think how far this class could swing in one day. I mean, if they land Jeremiah Smith, hold on to K.J. Bolden, but maybe lose Blunt, you're still looking at a four or five ranked class, maybe even into three. So Florida State fans, it's going to be a wild roller coaster ride tomorrow. I think Jeremiah Smith goes about noon, 11 a.m., and K.J. Bolden will be 1 p.m. So we will be live for both of those. We're going to react to it. We're going to, we're going to have Chad here. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, buckle up, baby. Bring a helmet, too, because it should be uh... – should be a high-impact kind of show for the most part, obviously, whenever we have National Signing Day. Always high-impact for all these schools across the board. One more guy I want to get your thoughts on here, Josh. Edric Houston, committed to yeah. Ohio State. Another one of those guys leading into National Signing Day where you use the verbiage like final decision. Where do things stand with him? It sounds like it's Ohio State, obviously, and then Alabama also in the mix. Yeah, Clemson was being mentioned, but right now I think they're on the outside looking in. And if you're on the outside looking in 24 hours out, you probably don't have a great shot. Hmm. So, Two teams, Alabama, Ohio State. Ohio State really needs to keep this one because Edric Houston's a five-star defensive lineman. They've been missing on defensive linemen. Justin Scott flipped a five-star from Ohio State to Miami about a month ago. That one hurt, and now they got to hold on to Edric Houston. I mean, here he comes. He's at Buford High School, so I think distance is, you know, you commit to a school out of state or far away. For much of the cycle, it seems great. But when it's time to put pen to paper and you realize that you're going to move from Georgia to Ohio, it's a little different than making the move from Georgia to Alabama. So I think from all sources, everything I've heard from Chad Simmons, it sounds like he is really mulling this one over. And tomorrow, Ohio State, they're going to have Jeremiah Smith. They're going to have to play some defense. Jeremiah Smith, potentially on flip watch. Edric Houston, Jeremiah McClellan, another stud wide receiver that Oregon is putting some pressure on. So Ohio State, even though they're number two in the country right now, they're playing defense tomorrow. It's all nice, neat, and tidy on the on three industry team recruiting rankings as we head into signing day, and then just everything breaks loose in yeah. that 24-hour cycle as kids are putting pen to paper. Uh, actually, I lied to you, Josh. One more name I want to get your thoughts on. DJ Lagway. Let's go. Still locked in at Florida. I know there was smoke around Mike Elka visiting him in home. He's a kid from Texas. We feel pretty confident he's he's staying with the Gators, or what's the overall standing right now with the one DJ Lagway? I know he's saying he's locked in, but where do you think stand on signing day? I felt he was locked in when he took that visit to Gainesville okay. over the weekend. We know that Mike Elko, and Mike Elko had to, because if Mike Elko doesn't go and sit in home with DJ Lagway, then he should be fired immediately for negligence. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, so I don't think at all. that Mike Elko, you know, got shut down. I don't think he was made. He was doing what he had to do, but event, but eventually. DJ Lagway got on that airplane. He went to Gainesville over the weekend. He spent time with Billy Napier and the coaching staff. There were some commits there. He, I think that that locked him in. I don't really have DJ Lagway high on my radar tomorrow mm -hmm. to watch, but if you're a Gator fan, you certainly want to make sure that DJ Lagway is signing on that dotted line tomorrow, and I expect that he does. Phenomenal. Well, Josh, uh, feels like we didn't have enough time there, man, to get through all that we wanted to get through. What do you say we do it for a few hours tomorrow on the On3 Recruit Show? If you're down to you? do four hours tomorrow, I'm <laughs> down to do four hours tomorrow. Let's, Let's go. Let's do it, baby. Let's do it. Again, that's the man, Josh Newberg, national recruiting analyst for us here at On3. Josh, appreciate you, man. Uh, we'll chop it up tomorrow, man, for a long, long time covering the madness and the beauty that is National Signing Day, brother. Appreciate you. It's going to be a great time. Can't wait. Good deal. Again, the On3 Recruit Channel, I cannot stress that enough. If you come here tomorrow at 10 a.m. expecting the hard count, we will not be live. We will be on the On3 Recruits Channel. So subscribe there. Get dialed in there. I promise you, you don't want to miss it. A lot of talk around the portal, deservedly so. The lifeblood of college football is still high school recruiting, and that still starts with National Signing Day. So make sure you're dialed in there. A lot of great content coming your way. We appreciate y'all for being locked in. Man, this is a beautiful time of the year. 
You got bowl season. We had, we had the toastery bowl yesterday. We got the portal and Dylan Raiola stealing the shine of the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the fighting Nick breaks, just finding a way down multiple scores to get it done and snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. So we'll get, uh, we'll get Nick's thoughts a little bit on that here a little bit later. But as I alluded to at the top of this show, and as has been the story of college football, really for the last couple of weeks, ever since there was rumblings around Dylan Raiola maybe flipping his commitment from Georgia to Nebraska, yesterday, it finally happened. Dylan Raiola flipped his commitment from Georgia to Nebraska. A lot that went into this. This sounds like he announced via a poem, had bars like Dr. Seuss. We'll, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. First things first, though, make sure you're subscribed right here. Y'all, we are throttling towards 200K subs. Want y'all a part of it. We appreciate y'all in advance for being a part of it. Got right around 70% of y'all not yet subscribed. You're already watching. That's 70%. You're already watching the show, so we appreciate you for that. Double check your subscribed. Helps us do more of what you want to see. So thank you for that. So what does this mean now for Nebraska? Landing a guy like Dylan Rayola. Let's be clear here. It's one thing to land a five-star player. It's a whole other thing to land a five-star quarterback, the most important player in the game of football. To put it simply, this is a ceiling changer. This is a ceiling changer because when you have a quarterback, you have a chance. Quarterbacks can make up for what you don't have on your roster. Now, there still needs to be more things put into that roster. We'll talk about that as well in a little bit. But, I mean, you go from talking about bowl games, can we get six wins? Can we get seven wins? Can we find a way to just be relevant again? To, okay, can we compete for a conference title? Because everyone in college football always talks about, well, you got to have a quarterback. You got to have elite quarterback play to be in that tier one range. Nebraska's saying, hey, look, we got our ticket right here in the form of a five-star quarterback in Dylan Raiola. We got our ticket now. We can get in the building. Now, what you do when you get in that building is a whole other conversation. But if you keep telling me we need, we need elite quarterback play to compete for what we want to compete for, they now have that. They're not going to be overmatched at that position. When you get into a shootout in a quarterback duel, they're going to have theirs when it gets to that point in the conversation in the Matt Rule era. So here's the big question everyone's asking, man. Like, why did he flip? Did Georgia do something wrong? Did Georgia drop the ball? What happened at Georgia? To be honest, if there was a problem at Georgia, they wouldn't still have the number one ranked class in this cycle. I want to make sure we're on the same page there. Like, I don't think Georgia did anything wrong. I don't think this is a Georgia issue. What I think this is, is just not being able to account for Dylan Raiola's priorities. And when I say not being able to account, I mean us as a college football public, and I mean just college football as a whole, not having a tremendous gauge for what that was going to look like when it came down to National Signing Day. Because football-wise, like Georgia checks all the boxes. Proven winning organization. Produced tons of NFL talent. You, you feel extremely confident that if you trust the process there, you're going to, one, be able to develop to the nth degree. Two, you're going to be able to play with some of the best talent in the country against some of the best talent in the country in the SEC. Like, there's nothing negative to say about Georgia here. Pro-style offense. I mean, we could go on and on for the full length of the show as to why Georgia makes sense. But going back to what I said, you could not place a value on a couple of things for Dylan Raiola. The first of which being family ties. How often have we talked about that throughout the course of his recruitment, really. Dad played there. Uncle's an offensive line coach there. That's where he's comfortable. So you might have the pros and cons list set up, and there might be more pros on the Georgia side of things, but you can't account for that one of the family ties. That's, that's the one bullet point on the list that just ultimately, it sounds like, had more points assigned to it than others on that list. Other part of this, opportunity. Second part of this. When it comes to, and we said this a lot, what it would mean to take Nebraska to being relevant and to winning at the, let's just say, tier one level, just for this conversation. It means a lot more, I think, to Dylan Raiola internally in that opportunity than it would at Georgia. Like, let's look at this poem. And uh, I'll, I'll pull it up here so I can uh, give y'all just a couple, of, a couple of bars from it. The line that stood out to me, uh, once fueled by Georgia, or yeah, once lured by Georgia where powerhouse glory gleamed, yet Nebraska's purpose in his heart brightly beamed. The purpose, that's a big part of it. The purpose, the purpose, the purpose, the opportunities. Other part of this where he says, no longer a cog in some powerhouse machine, but a quarterback with an even greater ambition unseen. Again, Dr. Seuss vibes. Jabril Peppers walks, so Dylan Raiola could run with this commitment, all right? If you haven't seen that uh, commitment when he goes to Michigan, I would encourage you to YouTube that after the show, of course. The purpose, the, the, the idea of being part of the, the renaissance, the comeback of Nebraska, and not being the next guy at Georgia. 
I think that was extremely attractive. And I think by nature of that commitment, by nature of that poem, that had a very big factor in why he decided to ultimately go to Lincoln and why he decided to go be a Cornhusker. There's going to be a lot of talk now questioning Dylan Riola's competitive nature. Now, I have it on very, very good authority that Dylan Riola was moving to Nebraska whether Kyle McCord was coming or not. Like, I, I don't think there was anything of like, well, if Kyle McCord commits, he's not going to commit. Like, I think Dylan Riola was going there either way. That was the, the buzz that I heard. And there might be less resistance to getting on the field at Nebraska by nature of what you have in that quarterback room, but there is arguably more resistance for success at a place like Nebraska because they haven't made a bowl game since 2016. They're going into their second year of a new staff. If you get on the field at Georgia, and it's not really a matter of if, I think for Dylan Riola, it would have been a matter of when, would he, when would he have gotten on the field? Would it be his sophomore year, his senior year? Who knows? But I'm telling you, if he got on the field at Georgia, at that point, how much have we heard people say, well, he's a product of the system? Well, that's why Carson Beck's not getting Heisman love because he's got so many five stars around him. That's why Stetson Bennett's not getting as much juice this past season because he's surrounded by Brock Bowers. Like Once you're on the field at Georgia, I would argue it's a little bit more easy to have success. That's not me speaking on the SEC. That's me just telling you the roster at Georgia is more ready-made for a quarterback to be successful than it is at Nebraska. So I understand the thought of like, hey, well, you don't want to compete for your job. I don't know that's the case. I think it's more so a matter of had a purpose to go to Nebraska. The opportunity was exciting. And bringing Nebraska back to where he thought they should be is ultimately what fueled this decision, in my humble opinion. Now, here's what I want to make sure we say when it comes to what his day one impact will be. Dylan Ryle is going to walk on campus, be the most talented quarterback in Lincoln. Period. Mike dropped the end. I don't, I don't care how long he was in, how far removed he is from science class. Like the dude can spin it better than anybody else on that roster. I feel pretty confident in saying that. But if you're a Nebraska fan, we got to understand now, this is a huge part of the fix. I don't think this is the ultimate fix. Because look at that offensive line last year, 10% sack rate, one of the worst in the country. You could have Tom Brady playing quarterback for you with Joe Montana backing him up. But if you don't want to protect him, if you don't have the right guys in place to surround him and support him, then we're going to have real problems maximizing what that talent is, maximizing what Dylan Riola has. And so I think like the, the Eminem song is probably the best thought that I have around this whole situation with Dylan Riola. Like, hey, don't miss your moment now. Arms week, mama spaghetti, all that. Like, like this is your moment. Do not miss this if you're Nebraska. Do not miss the opportunity to support your five-star quarterback, the first one you've gotten in the modern recruiting in the, in the modern rankings recruiting era. Don't miss out on that. This is your chance now to be able to surround him with the right talent, whether it's through the portal, whether it's at the high school level. Do not whiff on having Dylan Riola on campus for you. Because when's the next time you're going to get a chance to land another five-star quarterback if you don't maximize this? I think this is a tremendous opportunity for Nebraska, obviously, with how talented he is. But I just want to make sure we say this. It is not Dylan Riola plug-and-play. Everything works how it's supposed to. Still have to have the right pieces around him, right playmakers. Defense has to continue to play it the way they played last year. This is your moment now. Do not miss your chance to blow, all right? That's what we're saying. Uh, when it comes to why this happened to you. I want to make sure we, we get this out there. This doesn't happen without Matt Rule. And there's so much about, well, the family ties and the purpose and the opportunity. I think that's all absolutely a big part of why he committed. But from the outside looking in, there is nobody better that cultivates buy-in and sells vision than Matt Rule. Can do it with the best of them. The way that he communicates the way that he sets, I mean, we, we've seen the, the promos that he's cut in the locker room before games. Like, dude is an electric communicator, electric speaker. I'm not saying he's a great speaker. That's why Dylan Raiola committed. But I do think there's something to be said for the direction he set for Nebraska as a whole and Dylan Raiola being attracted to that with the family ties, with the purpose, with the opportunity. That's all baked into that. So what does it mean for Nebraska? I think you got your guy for the future. He's going to be the most talented guy on day one. Do you have the right pieces to surround him and support him when he gets on campus? I can't wait to watch it. Massive get for Nebraska. Again, the biggest recruit they've gotten, I think, in the modern era. He's the, he's the first five-star quarterback they've gotten in the modern recruiting rankings era. So we'll keep on rolling along here. But that was obviously shook the college football play or shook the college football world last night with him announcing his commitment. 
Um, speaking of uh, what I almost said just there, the college football playoff, not far away. Not far away at all, actually. So we gave you our picks and our preview for that game already between the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Uh, what I want to do right now, though, is take a look at some of the what-ifs when it comes to the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. We'll start with the Rose Bowl first. Whenever it comes to games like this, with this Rose Bowl being New Year's Day, Pasadena, sunset off the mountains, it's a beautiful sight. These teams have a month to prepare, both Michigan and Alabama. I would also say two of the best staffs in the country. You give them a month, yeah, I think they're going to be able to uh, maybe have some answers for some things you want to attack them with. Also be able to maybe address some of those weaknesses they had during the regular season. That's a whole lot of tape now they're watching. I promise you, Saban is in that office with the Cowboy, watching that secondary. Same thing with Harbaugh, eating a lot of steak, drinking a lot of milk, watching his quarterbacks. Like They're, they're going to be ready for this one. So when it comes to games like this, we need to consider the what-ifs. The, the potentially, you know, Scenarios we, we didn't see coming when it came to games like this. And the first one I want to address here, the first what if that I have for this Rose Bowl, what if Jalen Milrow is forced to be one-dimensional? What if you take away the legs of Jalen Milrow? Because listen, we know what he brings to the table as an athlete. Dude is special when he gets the ball out in space. He's compared to Lamar Jackson a lot. I don't think that's an unfair comp. He is that freaky with the ball in his hands. But if you're going to take away his legs, as I'm sure Michigan will try to do, and quite frankly, that's a really good Michigan defense giving up less than 10 points a game. What happens then? The obvious to me is those wide receivers need to step up. Isaiah Bond looking at you. Jermaine Burton looking at you. Need those guys to separate and separate quickly to give him an open target to throw to. That's first. Second, my question is, can Jalen Milrow be consistent enough in putting it on the money, go in the right place with the football, and keep from pressing? Because Jalen Milrow, let's call a spade a spade, man. He is a big play waiting to happen. And when you're a player like Jalen Milrow, who feels the pressure to make that big play, you'd have to believe in a spot like this, there's always the opportunity to press, put the ball in harm's way, that big turnover happens, and then things kind of can get off the rails. But if he can be consistent and just beat you through the air and be as consistent as he was throughout the month of November, only through one interception, they're going to have a real good chance now. Have a real good chance. Also, if you take away his legs... It goes back to the trenches, I think, for Michigan and Alabama. And uh, I think a game like that, just so we're on the same page here, could favor Michigan. They want to play that gross game. They want to play that game where it's all muddled up and you got to beat them going up the middle. Like, they're just fine playing that kind of game. I'm not saying Alabama can't win that kind of game, but I do think that would play into the hands of what Michigan wants to do. Now, if Alabama wins a game like that, everybody hold on tight. Because if Alabama beats Michigan at their own game, low scoring in the 20s, Kind of a gross game. Jalen Miller doesn't have the electric factor that we've seen, and they still find a way to win. Oh, boy. Be very, very dangerous. Be very, very nervous about this Alabama team for the rest of the country. Other question I have, other uh, what if I want to address here for this Rose Bowl. What if the game is put squarely on the shoulders of a one J.J. McCarthy? Wouldn't that just feel so poetic? Because what have we said all offseason long, all season long, it's going to be on J.J. McCarthy if they want to win a national title. Hey, J.J. McCarthy has to make them two-dimensional if they want to be able to hoist that trophy and feel that confetti fall in Houston. Michigan, a 60% of the time running the football team. That's who they are. That's what they've been. But just like we said at the beginning of the year, just like the legend foretold, it would take a quarterback, it would take J.J. McCarthy being the one to get them over the hump. So in a game like this, if Alabama looks how they did against Georgia and they hold them to less than three yards a carry, it will fall on J.J. McCarthy to make that happen. And same thing we said about Jalen Milrow a second ago, and if they can play with him being one-dimensional and they still find a way to win, if J.J. McCarthy and Michigan score 45 and find a way to win like a shootout kind of game, and these playmakers elevate for him. And he is the ultimately the King Arthur that pulls Excalibur out of the stone. little reference for you there. Be, be afraid of Michigan because they have hit that second gear at that point. At that point, they have reached maximum capacity. They've, they've reached their final form, and that would be, I think, terrifying for the rest of college football because then you have a team that can pound the rock the way that they do with Blake Quorum and Donovan Edwards and that offensive line, as beat up as they are, I still think they're a force to be reckoned with. You have a quarterback who's not only proven he can beat you he's in his zone he's got some extra confidence heading to Houston so that would be dangerous that would be scary and again that would be uh very poetic to be the moment where it comes down to you got to win uh 
college football playoff game to get to the national title to, to you know exercise those demons and you do it in the way that everybody said you'd have to throughout the course of the season and even in the preseason so that would be huge now here's my last what if for the rose we'll move on the sugar bowl here in a second what if it's just sloppy overall like what if Jalen Milrow kind of reverts to what we saw against Texas what if we see J.J. McCarthy look like he did against TCU last year what if we see special teams errors and we see missed field goals and we see muff punts and it's just like a gross sloppy game where we see like three or four total turnovers I think at that point you look to okay who can play the most simple style of ball and hold on to this thing and just find a way to just say you know what we're doing the same thing over and over again we're going to be fine taking a profit and we'll just play the game that way it won't be pretty We'll have a lot to clean up, but we're just going to do what we do best, double down on ourselves, and find a way to win the football game. To be clear, both teams want to run the football. Michigan and Alabama are both 60% run teams. I think in a spot like this, it would favor Michigan. Because to be real now, Michigan has played the most simple style of ball throughout the course of this season. And not because they want to, because they're able to. I mean, I understand against Penn State, there was a little more resistance than we had seen throughout the course of the season by nature of how good they were defensively. But what happened in the second half? All running plays. They did exactly what I'm referring to right here. They're comfortable turning around, giving the ball to their backs, and just living that way. I think for Alabama, they could play a style of game that way, but I think ultimately they're not quite as comfortable playing a game at that style. So just to be clear, more turnovers in this game, I think, like we've said all leading up to this game, more turnovers to me favor Michigan. So we'll see what happens there. But those are my what-ifs for the Rose Bowl. And uh, just to be honest, I think when it comes to games like that, when it comes to the college football playoff, we got to kind of expect the unexpected. TCU made the national title last year. So that should kind of serve as proof of concept when it comes to that whole thought. So that's the Rose Bowl now. Let's, uh, let's move on here to the Sugar Bowl. You got Texas, you got Washington in the Sugar Bowl. What are the what-ifs? that we got to keep an eye on for a game like this. There's so much made, and I've said this multiple times, it's going to be high scoring. Both teams are scoring over 35. Neither secondary is that good. NFL quarterback, NFL wide receivers. What if this game was played in the 20s? What if both the defensive coordinators for these teams just flip the script and say, you know what? We watched a lot of tape. We heard all y'all talk, and we brought our A game. Find a way to beat us by, by scoring one more time than us. Because it's going to come down to that. You're going to take a lot of punts, probably kick some field goals. Who's able to shape shift the best? Because to be clear, neither one of these teams wants to play that style of game. I'm sure they both want to play good defense, but neither offense wants to be held in that 20 range. Both are, I think, are much more physical too, offensively, than nationally how they're perceived. Texas is running the ball for almost 200 yards a game. Washington absolutely mauled a top 10 run-stopping unit in Oregon. Dylan Johnson is still lowering his shoulder on Oregon Duck defenders right now to this day. Also, Washington, to be clear, they've won a fair amount of games that have been played in the 20s. Game against Washington State, game against Oregon State. Like, they, they're not unfamiliar with that territory. In a spot like this, though, if this what-if were to happen, I would give the edge to Texas and purely because of the depth of what they have in that running back room. Keelan Robinson, C.J. Baxter, Jaden Blue, like... They have much more, I think, off-road tires than what Washington has. Not to say they don't still have it, but you have Dylan Johnson. And then past that, I'm looking for who else can carry the mail for you. And if the game is played in the 20s, like I'm talking about, I think there's going to be a lot said for, okay, who else needs to eat while this guy gets off on the, on the sideline and kind of just gets some water and gets ready. Okay, now we're back to him. Okay, next running back in. Like kind of just this whole, I guess, uh, musical chairs when it comes to the running backs getting downhill so keep an eye on that again I think the depth of Texas is something to watch for if we do have a game that ends up being surprisingly low scoring another what if for you what if Texas is able to get to Michael Penix Jr this is the first time we would see that if that ends up being the case Washington giving up a sack rate of two percent on the season okay one of the best in the country number two in the country Quite frankly, because they're able to get rid of the ball so quickly, a lot of what they draw up on offense has quick answers for Michael Penix Jr. Also, they do a good job protecting him. This would require really great secondary play from Texas. To this point in the season, we haven't seen consistently great secondary play from Texas. Uh, but if this were to happen, 
Again, it would be a new variable into the equation we haven't seen with Washington. It would also, I think, require Ryan Grubbs to be able to adapt his game plan to get Michael Penix Jr. back into rhythm. Haven't seen him out of rhythm just yet. Not to say we haven't seen Michael Penix Jr. struggle, but we haven't seen him like routinely hit and had someone consistently get to him. Oregon tried to do that. They tried to dial up pressure, and they got beat whenever they brought pressure is the way that it felt to me. So keep an eye on that one. It would be very curious to me to see a, a spot like this, though, because I, th- I think it's uh, something that Texas will at some point try to do, whether they bring it with stunts with just four guys, whether they bring a linebacker from the edge. Like, at some way, you have to, I think, affect Michael Penix Jr. if you want to win this game if you're Texas. Now, if you're Washington, here's my, my what if for them. What if they take away the balance from the Texas offense? Texas has been really balanced all season long. They lean a little bit more on the run game, which is all the more a reason to explore this point. Texas is a 52% running the football team. Washington at the linebacker level, they trigger on the football really quickly. Meaning when you're watching Washington on TV, those linebackers, as soon as the ball is snapped and they read their keys, like they're getting downhill. They're not waiting. They're not asking for directions. Like they are getting right to the ball carrier. And if they're wrong, they're wrong. Then some RPO plays happen and good things are happening for Texas. But I just want to kind of explore this thought of what if they're forcing Texas to ride around, let's say, two and a half yards carry. And they're not really able to get the whole run to pass thing set up. To me, that would be the ultimate rubber meets the road scenario for Texas. Because what have we heard all year long? Really all, I mean, offseason long as well when it comes to Texas. Quinn Ewers this. Steve Sarkeesian, quarterback guru that. Well, in this spot where you take away the run game, it is squarely put on Quinn Ewers to win it for you. It is squarely put on Steve Sarkeesian to have his quarterback ready to go win for you and win through the air. So that would be something I'm very, very curious to see. That would be a, a jaw dropper in my mind if they do totally take away the run game from Texas and it would make, make them absolutely uncomfortable and have to play left-handed. But overall, man, a lot of what-ifs to explore there with the Sugar Bowl. Can't wait to watch it on New Year's Day. But uh, those are some things that, again, I think we need to keep an eye on and be cognizant of as we head into that game in Nolens. Be a lot of fun, man. Be a lot of fun. Just the fact that we get to talk about college football playoffs right now is a beautiful thing. Very, very beautiful thing. Hey, everyone who's tuned in live, I'm going to ask two favors really quickly. One, subscribe to the channel. We have right around 70% of y'all that are already watching that have not yet subscribed. And so if you're just mind, just double checking, just make sure, hey, we already hit the subscribe button. That'd be phenomenal. We'd appreciate you for that. And that would obviously be a, a massive help for us. Also, if you could like the video, it would also be huge. Thank you in advance for that. Now, one more uh, topic I want to get to here that broke yesterday, later in the day, right after the Dylan Raiola news. Or actually, actually, it broke before the Dylan Raiola news. Excuse me. Carson Beck coming back for another year at Georgia. This is massive. And to me, this makes a lot of sense because when you talk about Carson Beck and his potential draft stock, like this season... Caleb Williams, Drake May getting a lot of buzz. Jaden Daniels deservedly getting a lot of buzz based on the season he had. When you look to next season, is there one guy definitively that you're taking ahead of Carson Beck? And I'm not saying who you would take ahead of Carson Beck. I'm saying like the gap is just extremely wide heading into next season. Shooter Sanders, I could see it. He's super talented. I'd still take Carson Beck. Riley Leonard, maybe he has a great year at Notre Dame next year and changes my opinion. I still take Carson Beck. Quinn Ewers, I'm not so sure that Quinn Ewers, if they win the national title, ends up coming back for another year. It sounds like he's 90%. means there's the 10% chance there, which I think if you win a national title, maybe you're right off into the, sunset, onto the, into, the, uh, excuse me, into the sunset if you're Quinn Ewers. But even so, Carson Beck, I think, is very much so in that conversation with Quinn Ewers. I think Carson Beck has been probably more consistent in the sample size we've seen from him. So what does it mean for Georgia? The first thing I'll say is, Take my money when it comes to the preseason odds for them to win a national title in 2024. You're saying, J.D., you're being hyperbolic. You're being over the top. Am I? This is a team that I think if they were healthy, nobody would want to see in a four-team, much less a 12-team playoff right now. We're going to 12 next season. Second part of that is this was always the big question mark for Georgia, right? Hey, who's going to be the quarterback next year? No more Brock Bowers next year, more than likely. We're going to go ahead and assume that. What's going to happen to Georgia when they get to next year, if they have an inexperienced quarterback and they play just a gauntlet of a schedule, you got Texas, got Clemson to start the year. Like, it's not an easy road. And if you don't have a quarterback, like, they got a quarterback now. And a quarterback that not only was really good this year, 72% of his passes completed, 
He also is going to be able to build off of what he did last season with Mike Bobo. And I don't think we should take that for granted now. I said this yesterday and I'll say it again. If you're Carson Beck, you have the opportunity now to go from conversational in the Mike Bobo offense, which I think is even a scary thought given how good he was last year. 22 touchdowns and six picks over 3,700 yards. Conversational to fluent in this offense. Meaning I don't think we've seen Carson Beck's very best just yet. That would be counterintuitive to think that we've seen his very best given one season as a starter. You go to next season, and I know the competition gets more stiff. I know it's a, a more difficult task without Brock Bowers. Again, we're just kind of assuming that, but you throw you throw him into the mix, man. I just I really, really think that he is going to keep this offense where it's at. And they scored 37 points a game this year. Now you talk about the defense and say, okay, well, that's obviously a big part of them having to make that national title run. I understand that too, but look at who's running that show. Tell me if you trust this defense. Kirby Smart, Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp. I feel good about trusting them. We saw them play with some younger guys this season who are going to get a full offseason under their belt this upcoming year. I trust them to have that defense ready to play. I don't think we'll see a drop-off in the Georgia defense with those three guys in charge. And then you pair back in what we just talked about this entire segment. Carson Beck running the show. Good things are happening. Good things are happening for Georgia as a whole, man. So I think if the defense stays where they are, and I expect them to, and the offense continues to improve how they are, they're going to be dangerous, man. They're going to be extremely, extremely dangerous. And again, I keep going back to this point. Even if Georgia got put in the playoff this year, I would pick them to win the whole thing. I picked them to win the whole thing at the beginning of the year. We didn't account for the injuries of Aladdin McConkie and a Brock Bowers. Didn't account for Jalen Muro being that dude. We're not being sore losers here. I'm just saying, you expand it to 12, you give Georgia time to get healthy. Whether they win the SEC or not, given an experienced quarterback like Carson Beck now, which is a word you couldn't say last year. You couldn't, you couldn't say he was experienced. You could say he was talented. You could say he looked like he was in control of the offense a lot, but he wasn't experienced. Now you give him a chance to revisit a shot like he was in Atlanta, revisit a spot like he was you know, trying to make the college football playoff. He'll play in a New Year's Six Bowl game this season. Like The experience he's getting by exposure to these big moments, it means something. It makes them more dangerous offensively. And the defense, we already know what they're bringing to the table on that side of the ball. So, Carson Beck coming back for another year. And I just want to make sure we say this again. I would pick Georgia today to win the national title in 2024. We'll give it the offseason. We'll let the dust settle on the transfer portal. But as of right now, Carson Beck building on 37 points a game with that offense. We think a fair amount of that O-line will come back. This is massive in, in every sense of the word for Georgia, in every sense of the word for, uh, for the dogs and, and Carson Beck heading into next year. So that's very, very big. And want to make sure we talked about that together there because it's easy to just read the headline and say, oh, well, Carson Beck's coming back. That's good. Good for Georgia. No, 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 no. If he even gets better, it'll be tough for the rest of college football, man. We'll say that much. All right, now make sure you get those questions in via the live chat. About to get to those here in just a few short minutes. Going to be joined by the keeper of the queue, Nick Break here. I want to get to one ad read here, so 60 seconds. Get those chats in the queue right now, and we'll get to them here shortly. So here we go. It's bowl season. You got one chance now to watch your team. If they're lucky enough to be in bowl season, you have one more chance to watch them in person. It's cool to watch by the house. That's fine. But game time is one, bringing you the hard count today. And two, they're making sure that you get to enjoy the games in the real atmosphere of a college football game. Nothing like it, man. A lot of other sporting events out there, but a college football game, I'll tell you what, it is second to none, in my humble opinion. So game time is the fast and easy way to get you to that elite atmosphere, to get you to whatever bowl game your team is playing in. Heck, maybe the college football playoff game. Who knows the next time that we're going to be able to see your team in that college football playoff setting. This is big. So game time, the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the big-time matchups. College football games, maybe if you like other sports, Major League Baseball, maybe you like the NFL, maybe you like soccer. They got all the sporting events on game time. Also, concerts, comedy events, whatever you want to see, whatever you need tickets to, game time, they got it there. And they don't just have it there, they have it for the best prices. If you find a ticket that is in the same section and row for less than what you paid game time, they credit you 110% of the difference. That's massive. You can wait right up till the morning of the event. Buy the ticket with two taps. You're set to go. But here's the best way to do it. Now, this is the best way to help the show. Best way to buy your tickets. Download the Game Time app. Create an account. 
And when you create an account, use code HARDCOUNT for your first purchase for $20 off. So that's H-A-R-D-C-O-U-N-T, HARDCOUNT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply, create an account, code HARDCOUNT, $20 off. Download Game Time today, last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. All right, now, it is a massive victory Tuesday for the man that is the people's producer, WKU alum, Nick Brake. Nick, first of all, congrats on the big win yesterday, brother. A lot of people said it wasn't going to happen. A lot of people wrote him off. They didn't write back, though. Yeah, what a uh, legacy-defining win to win the Toastery Bowl for your school. A lot of, hey, a lot of folks throw their hat in the ring every single year. Yeah. And only, only one walks away with it, baby. Oh, That's yeah. big time, man. And I'm not throwing shade. That was a massive win for the boys. It was. It was massive. Um, I don't take a lot out of it, though, because, I mean, you, you lose Austin Reed. Obviously, he's gone. Um, he doesn't play in the game. Caden Velkamp, the, the backup, comes in, saves the day after the coach's son turns the ball over twice. Uh, makes me wonder why Velkamp didn't start. Some he, strays for the coach's son. He's, you know, Velkamp, the guy, I mean, he had a 400-yard, like, five touchdowns. He's leaving. That was his last game. He's oh, transferring. Wow. Can you imagine, like, you're, you're throwing your hat, and you're like, I'm going to play in the bowl game. And, I mean, a school might take a, a bite at him for, uh, for that game alone. So How about that? So he said, hey, I'm, I'm deucing out here. Yeah. Appreciate y'all. Yeah, we'll see you guys. We'll see you guys later. Pretty yeah. much. So nothing changes for WKU. They're still in the same trajectory, which is I think downward. But I, oh, I think Hayden Belkamp's uh, life might change a little bit. So with that being said, good JD, for him though. Yeah, good for him. I I'm happy for that kid. He's a good kid. Um, I sounded a thousand just now. I'm only 24. Uh, with that being said though, I'm gonna get to some questions. Uh, start with OG Gary. Uh, are you hearing anything about LSU signing defensive and offensive players? We're losing a lot of talent. Any news that you m- might settle some nerves? He, is he saying via the portal, we imagine? Or I'd talking say signing, signing day? day or portal. You know, well, I mean, through the portal, they just got A.J. Swan. So yeah. if, if you're looking to elevate the quarterback room, you just landed one of the quarterbacks from the SEC, from Vanderbilt. So that's, a, I mean, at the very least, a good sign that you're going to have some competition in that room. Um, I would let the dust settle because I think the big thing for me is Brian Kelly and his way of doing things. It's worked. He's one of the best winning percentages among active head coaches in college football. The way that he does things, it works. If you don't believe me, look to last season and how they competed and made the SEC championship in their first season in the SEC that, with uh, Brian Kelly and that staff. So just give it some time. It's things got to bake. The big concern this past season, or the offseason rather, was can the offense elevate? The defense is really good with Harold Perkins and, and what they did last season. Can, can Jane Daniels just be a little bit better and, and be able to give us enough production offensively to win those games? And then we got into the season and the whole thing flipped on its head. It was like, well, the offense is incredible. Jane Daniels winning the Heisman Trophy. And the defense has got some very real uh, kinks to work out, to say the least. So I would just give it some time. I would just give it some time. Uh, we don't have any news to break for you here on this show at this time, unfortunately. Uh, but really quick, everyone liked the video. We're about 10 likes away from 100. Appreciate y'all in advance for getting us there. Uh, the little thumbs up icon under the screen. Good question, though, from, from our guy, OG Gary. Yeah. I know he's an LSU fan. LSU, Utah, both. Oh, okay. I think there's like class there's reasons, combo. though. It's not like a, uh, like, oh, I'm going to like this team. I think there's uh, some reasons. I forgot why, though, OG Gary. If you don't mind re- I like reminding that. us, throw that in the chat. Uh, next question. This one's coming from Forrest Khan. How could people say Alabama is peaking after needing an absolute miracle against a 6-6 six and six team in November? And I know you're going to say it's the rivalry. Yeah. It is an inst- interesting point. Very interesting that point. That was a miracle. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it was the miracle at Jordan-Hare, without question. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the scary thing. I, I honestly haven't said Alabama's peaking because I don't think they are. And even the way they played against Georgia, the defense played awesome. No question about that. Defense played phenomenal. But like Jalen Milrow, I think he was less than 200 yards passing. He was like 13 for 23. He played all right, but it wasn't like, wow, they are, they are finding their stride. Played well enough to beat Georgia, but I think their best game, truthfully, is still out there. And we've said this for a while on this show, too. I don't think there's anything about Alabama that like just restrains them from being able to win the national title. Like, we look at Alabama, we look at week two, we look at how they played against, you know, USF, and we thought, okay, well... Maybe they're going to lose three or four ball games. Maybe they're not really all that. But we go back to the talent they have in-house, and they're all a bunch of 
top two classes within that roster, not counting the portal guys. So tons of talent is there. They have the talent to win it all. It's a matter of can they play their best on the day that it's you know required, which is obviously the nature of college football. So they didn't play their best on the day where they played Auburn, but I don't think that data point to me is indicative of where Alabama is. And again, I don't think I don't think they are peaking, and that's the scary part. They still, I think, have their best football ahead of them, and they have their two most important games ahead of them. Should they win against Michigan, they'll earn the right to play one more. J.D., we talked about some what-ifs earlier for, for uh, uh, the playoffs. The truth has, uh, what if Michigan just wins the whole thing? How much of a meltdown down would the NCAA have and then some certain um, TV stations that I won't name um, have? What, what would it be like, do you think, what would the reaction be like if Michigan were to win the national championship? Hey, I like I like the restraint there, Nick. That's yeah, that's big time. Yeah, that's big time. Uh, man, it would be, it would be the loudest on both sides. It would be the loudest internally from the Michigan side of things because they would be fired up. They're like, okay, cool, we we proved all y'all wrong. We dropped the mic. Stunt Connor Stallions. This, all this about our coach and the games he didn't coach this year. But then you have people on the outside that are screaming that should be vacated all the sign-stealing stuff. So, uh, to be honest, if they win the national title, I think the drama just starts. Because then you look at what happens with Jim Harbaugh. Because if he wins a national title, what else does he have to do at the collegiate level? And I'm not speaking with any inside information, but like if you're Jim Harbaugh and you were that close to a Super Bowl, like do you, you maybe want to test the NFL waters? What else do you have to do at Michigan? You kind of you accomplished your main goal of winning a national title. So, that's, very, that's a great question. I'm curious to watch how that whole plays out. But, uh, Again, the drama would just be beginning if they were to win a national title, Nick, in my opinion. Uh, J.D., uh, Sean Nelson says, what's up, guys? Uh, he hasn't been on the show lately. We're glad to have you back. Uh, Welcome back, Sean. Gl- glad to be back. Sean asks a question. I think you'll like this because if I remember correctly, you're a Mickey Joseph fan. He says, what do you think about him taking the job at Grambling State? Ooh. Yeah, I man. Hey, was a good hire for them. Was you used to be a bigger Mickey Mickey Joseph fan before the uh, oh, before what went down in Nebraska. Oh, that's true. But that's true. Uh, I forgot about I that. Mean, hey, good good for Grambling getting a, a proven coach at the Power Five level. But yeah, our uh, our fanhood of, of Mickey Joseph. Yeah, I don't mean to defame you there, JD. No, you're great. Yeah, uh, I was a fan of. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It was good to see Nebraska rally and play for him, but the way that it went there, obviously, uh, yeah. extremely unfortunate. Yeah. And unfortunate is probably even the wrong word to use. Extremely uh, negative in every sense. But Sorry about go. that, JD. No, we roll. I, I've had my memory kind of... Uh... No, you're great. I mean, no, I mean, honestly, I mean, for, for Grambling to land a, a coach from that level. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how about we get a couple more? Love it. Okay. Um, so we're... T- more people, more people have been talking about this, the snubbing of Florida State. Kylan Birchmore says, how do you feel, honestly, about them being left out? Yeah, man. And it's funny because I feel like I always kind of speak out of two sides of my mouth here because I feel, I feel two ways about it. One is like, yeah, it's unfair. They got totally snubbed. And if you're a Florida State fan, you have every right to be upset, especially because of the fact that they had y'all ranked near that top four the entirety of the way leading into Selection Sunday. Like, like if I'm a Florida State fan, that's my big issue I have is if you really think that we're not a top four team without Jordan Travis, let us know because Jordan Travis hasn't been playing for the last two weeks. So evaluate us accordingly heading into, heading, I keep wanting to say National Signing Day, uh, heading into Selection Sunday. Uh, the other way I feel about it is we also saw Alabama play in person in the SEC title game. And I was like, if you leave this team out of the playoff, they got it wrong. So it was unfortunate somebody had to get left out. But Florida State not being at full strength and not having their quarterback, yeah, I think I think they got it right. I think Alabama was the team to put in there over Florida State, as messed up as it is and as uh, poorly handled as it was. So that's not going to be popular, but that's kind of the way we feel about it, and um, that's our that's our stance on it. There, Nick. <laughs> I still can't believe I what selective memory I have, JD. Oh, on the hey, you're, <laughs> that was terrible. Up, I can't brother. even believe that. Don't beat um, yourself up, brother. JD, we got a couple more. How about you? We say two more questions. I love it, man. Two uh, more is perfect. I'm gonna uh, scroll up just a little bit uh, because there were a couple right as we started. Okay, here we go. This one was asked a few times. I want to get to it. Peyton King says, JD, how many of Auburn's five star flip targets do you think they could actually realistically sign tomorrow? Ooh. Well, Ryan Williams isn't committing until later. So he's not committing tomorrow on National Signing Day. He'll, he'll announce in the new year. I mean, if they're flipped at this point, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of plead the fifth there, Nick, because I don't I don't want to provide false hope for a fan base when it comes to the recruiting trail. I would say tune into the National Signing Day show tomorrow on the On Three Recruits channel. And if they flip, if, if if Auburn lands one of their big flips, we will talk about it. But they've already done some great flip work on the trail right now. I mean, they landed Cam Coleman. That was a big flip. So Auburn, they're uh, they're recruiting like a program. They got some real direction under a uh, under a Hugh Freeze in the way they're they're adding talent. So. How's that? We're, we're going to kind of plead the fifth there on what we think is going to happen with, with the flips. Yeah, sounds good, J.D. One more question. Love it, brother. Hey, shout out Jake from State Farms watching us right now. There we go, Jake. There we go. Appreciate it, brother. <laughs> um, Here we go. I'm looking for a last question. Do you have anything to say before I find one? I don't want to. You know, hey, LT Overton committed to Alabama. That was big. He just committed about That's 10 minutes ago. Nice. Five-star plus guy in the 2022 class. He was, I believe he reclassified to an, either, to an even earlier class. He was the number one recruit, I believe, in the class of 2023, reclassified and was still a five-star plus guy. So that's a dog now. That's a dog. And he's uh, headed to Bama. The rich just getting richer, it would appear. Um, also, shout out to y'all for the 100 likes. Again, tomorrow morning, we will have more intel for y'all on what's going to happen with this show, all right, as it pertains to our scheduling for the rest of the week. Thursday, staying the same. 10 a.m. Eastern. What we're doing on this show on Wednesday, we'll give you some more intel on. Very, very important to follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Pakel. That's where we will let y'all know. Okay, so appreciate y'all in advance for that. Uh, JD, last question. Let's do uh, it. Another one from Forrest Khan. Uh, I'm going to ask this one because uh, Clayton from the Wolverine sent me a screenshot. I was watching the show earlier, so uh, shout out to the Wolverine. Uh, my pals there. Mich- there we go. This is a question about the Wolverine saying Michigan, give- Michigan gives up 9.5 points per game. Alabama is double that. Uh, so everyone always talks about the SEC being, quote, twice as good as the Big Ten. Is that true? I mean, Michigan are, are as dominant as it gets in college football. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's, that's an accurate statement to say they're twice as good. It is fair to say that Michigan has played less potent offenses than what uh, Alabama has played to this point in the year. I mean, LSU was great. Ole Miss was great. But even so, I don't, I don't think that is indicative to me of what this game is going to look like. I think we have Alabama by like one score when it comes to the outcome in that game. But neither result would surprise me there. So when it comes to comparing conferences, especially next year, I think it is like neck and neck for whichever conference is like the most talented or the most depth with the SEC adding Texas and OU and then uh, uh, the Big Ten taking those Pac-12 schools in Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA. But Overall, man, it's 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 going to be when they get in that ring together in Pasadena, when they lock the gates, doesn't matter what conference you're from, doesn't matter what happened earlier in the year, are you man enough to meet us, play in and play out in the trenches, and be able to win this football game? For either side of that thing, I think, is, is how I feel about it. So it'll be a lot of fun, man. It'll be a good one. And uh, we'll, we will learn a lot about both sides very quickly, I would have to imagine. Yep. Good deal. Nick, I appreciate you, man. You're, you're crushing it from... Getting ready for signing day. You're doing the graphics. You're doing the, the queue, brother. So we appreciate you manning it all. And uh, we'll dial in for tomorrow. Sound good? Yeah, busy one today. Busy one tomorrow, JD. But it's part of the fun. There we go, man. Appreciate you, Big Nick. Again, the people's producer, Nick yes, Brake. Doing it all. Doing it all. Hey, appreciate y'all so much for being dialed in. National signing day tomorrow. Not on this channel. On the On3 Recruits channel. So if you want to find where the national signing day coverage will be, myself, Josh Newberg, at this desk, different channel. Type into the YouTube search bar, On3 Recruits. Nice little gray icon for you, I believe, on that channel. Hit subscribe. You'll be dialed in. We'll have a good time. We'll get after it tomorrow, bringing you all the intel, all the coverage for National Signing Day. Make sure you're locked in. Hey, make sure you're subscribed here as well on your way out the door. Appreciate y'all for over 100 likes yet again. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.